0: Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, would you speak to us? Uh, words uh, that will carry us through this week. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Great to see you. Wonderful to have you with us. We're going to be looking uh, ever so briefly at this well-known passage in Judges chapter 6, the call of Gideon. And uh, if you've been around the church for a little bit, no doubt this story will be familiar to you, as it, as it is to me. Uh, and yet I saw something I'd never seen before um, this week that I'll share with you. And uh, the scholars amongst us can correct me afterwards if you think I've erred and strayed. But um, it's, it's an interesting time when Gideon, when we come upon Gideon. Um, the culture throughout the book of Judges is defined as this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there's this massive departure from this sense of an objective standard for what life should look like. And at at, at first glance, that might be okay. Except that very quickly, there's there's a departure from an objective standard of what justice looks like. Because if I do what's right in my own eyes, that's great. And I don't really care what happens in the eyes of the others, is what the implication is. And so when we come upon Gideon, the infrastructure of the culture's collapsed and the commentators say that Israel has found itself in a place of, where is that quote? Of a covenant infidelity covenant infidelity which has implications to everyone Um, and 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 here we here we have it if you're with me in in your bulletin in uh, Gideon chapter not Gideon um, judges even chapter 6 verse 11 it begins with the angel of the Lord well who was the angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord was God's representative bit mysterious uh, and he, but he speaks with authority to people about what's about to happen or, in some cases, about how they've gone wrong. And he shows up suddenly. Sometimes he causes fear. Other times he causes confusion, as with Gideon. And, um, and it's this call on people to return to the Lord. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And instead of looking to the Lord, they looked to themselves. It's easy to do, isn't it? They looked to themselves. And that led them to a most spectacular case of, as I just said, covenant infidelity. Because they refused to do things God's way. And it means, in verse 1 of chapter 6, that the, the language is that so the Lord let them do it their way for 7 years. And because of their departure it leads them vulnerable and susceptible to attack. And the Midianites come in and they begin to oppress and they begin to raid and they just um, begin it begins an awful an awful time. And so in verse 11 we read the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree and in Oprah, that belonged to Joash, the, um, un, well, difficult name, unfortunately, um, Abizrite? You can tell me later, Chris. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So, grapes are normally, and I'm, I'm going to say the obvious here grapes are normally crushed in a wine press. They're designed for it, right? They're high walls so that the juice, from the grapes doesn't go anywhere. doesn't leak. Um, A threshing floor, however, has open walls so that as you thresh the wheat, the the wind can take the chaff away. So not only is is Gideon doing something in hiding for fear of the Midianites, uh, his job's a lot more difficult because it's not getting sorted properly. So he's got the wheat and the chaff here. And so it's complicated things um, tremendously. Uh, Gideon's secret is a sign of the desperate straits that people are in because of the oppression. And in verse 12, we get to the point of the message. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "'The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor.'" So we have a coward who is doing things the hard way in hiding, who has no history, Up until this moment, we're going to learn a bit about his history in a moment. And all of a sudden, the Lord begins to relate to him differently than his history or his current circumstances. And that's just what the Lord's like. I don't know what your history is like or what your current circumstances are, but the Lord doesn't relate to us according to those. He has a higher level of relating to us. And identity in the eyes of our world is really informed by a lot, and I'm not going to try to uh, define it here, but often that ide- our identity is informed by our performance. Right? I mean, Uh, You go out and meet people socially for the first time the game. I like to play is how long can I make it last before they ask me or I Answer what it is I do and when I answer what it is I do How can I make it sound a bit more interesting than oh? I'm a priest, right? So we were at a drinks thing one night in London, and I was you know um, Confession We had crashed an art gallery opening that we were not invited to before we had children, we did a lot of fun things. And so, you know, you're, you're sipping wine, eating cheese, and uh, someone says, oh, what do you do? And, you know, oh, you know, public relations. I work for a PR firm, so oh, yeah, what is this? No, actually, I'm not, I'm an exorcist. And it was interesting how the conversation just died. And uh, I said, well, that's an exaggeration. I'm really just a priest. And by then, we left because the party had, had uh, yeah, had died. But our identity, but, you know, is so informed, isn't it, by our performance? either by what we do, what we've done, or often what's been done to us. Becomes, they're, they're huge, they really, it really shapes our identity. But in the kingdom of God, identity is not performance-based. It's based on the word of the Lord. So today, to be a military leader, to be a man of valor, in the world's eyes, you, you, you have to be a soldier who's at least gone through basic training, Not only that, if you survive basic training, you've led others in combat situations that have been successful. That's what it means to be a soldier. But with Gideon, the angel of the Lord appears to him and speaks to him as he's cowarding, who is very healthily hiding in fear, and says, you're a man of valor. And valor means someone who displays great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. And in that moment, the identity of Gideon changes. His identity changes. Because we are shaped by what we do, but we're not limited by it. What we do isn't the totality of who we are. We are shaped by what has been done to us, but we're not limited by it. What has been done to us isn't the totality of who we are. There's more. I remember a few years back now, well, at least nine, before we moved to Texas, we had finished uh, an Alpha course, and in the middle of the Alpha course, there's a Holy Spirit retreat, and the Alpha course is a 10-week introduction or a reintroduction to the basics of Christian faith. And um, there's a Holy Spirit retreat where we take people away, and we basically look at four questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then the fourth one, my favorite, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? And um, a Ray, uh, a friend, had, uh, was not in my group. He was in Rachel's group. He was uh, an atheist. And he came on the uh, retreat. He had no real experience of God. He had a lovely time. I had no experience of God. None of his questions were really answered. And he just came that evening to church after the retreat just to say goodbye to his friends because he realized he'd been right and everyone was deceived because God doesn't exist because he hadn't met with God. And uh, similar to here, sometimes when we have uh, a ministry time, uh, someone came up and said, I really have what I sense is a word of encouragement from, from the Lord for some of the congregation." So say, said, yeah, come on up. And they kind of broke protocol because they pointed to Ray as he sat at the back left. There were 300 people in the church at the time. And he says, I just feel the Lord wants to encourage you because uh, you're a man of integrity. Well, what nobody knew was that this dear friend of ours had spent time in prison. And he told us afterwards that his wish is always, had always been that if he could start all over, which is impossible, he would say, if I could start all over, the one thing I'd want is to be known as a man of integrity. A few fireworks went off at that moment, and he very quickly realized that he was wrong, that Jesus was alive, and that Jesus was offering a fresh start, and that his fresh start would be marked by integrity, which none of us knew, but God knew and revealed in that moment. Uh, and he had such integrity that at one point, you know, he had the keys to the church, and he would come in and, you know, do maintenance and all that kind of stuff, and he was just utterly different. And there's something that happens when the Spirit of God brings to life the Word of God in our hearts. It, it really can inform our identity in ways that are uh, different. I mean, the Lord can change your Enneagram number. I know, it's, I know there's no book on that. It sounds like heresy, but He can. We could talk about that some other time. Um, I really don't know what I'm saying when I say that. But we get to Judges 6, verse 13. And this is Gideon's response. So the angel of the Lord said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, O man of valor. And Gideon's response is, But sir... If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our Father recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. It's an interesting response, verse 13. And, you know, a lot of commentators say that he's just having a wobble, similar, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying they're probably right. But there's a different way to look at it. is could something deeper be going on if you 've lived in an oppressed, unjust regime like the Midianites had it brought upon Israel, could there be something else going on than a little bit of doubt? Could this be just an expression of lament an expression of lament because if it is an expression of lament that it informs our situation and gives us some hints of how we can actually receive what the Lord has for us. What does it mean to lament? Well, to lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And so if this is a cry of the oppressed, if Gideon is issuing this cry of of lamentation, of the injustice and cruelty suffered by him and his family and his people, it changes things. The culture of his day no longer had, as I said earlier, an objective standard of right and wrong. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and for a time it's worked, but it's led to an awful situation where injustice prevails. Because if Gideon is lamenting, what does that have to offer to us? One of my favorite authors wrote a commentary on lamentations. Um, His name is... Gotta get this right. Sun Chan Ra and he's written a, a commentary on the book of Lamentations called Prophetic Lament and talks about his comments, and I'm quoting him, is that the American church avoids lament, but lament is a missing essential component of Christian faith because lament recognizes struggles and suffering and that the world is not as it should be. You know, We don't have to always put the perfect version of ourselves on display. There's another posture to take. And lament challenges the status quo, and it cries out for justice against existing injustices. So the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Go in the power that you have, man of valor. And here comes this response of lament. When you've experienced hardship, when you've experienced trauma, and we all have experienced hardship, we've all experienced difficult things, there comes a moment when the only way through to freedom is found in lament. So if Gideon, a coward, has been lamenting in his hiding, if he's been bemoaning the fact that the world is not as it should be, that the suffering is, needs to stop, and if these laments, these prayers of laments have really been going on, we have no evidence that they have, but it just seems to be too close to, it seems very close that it could be, My suggestion is that his prayers of lament, our prayers of lament, become prayers of preparation that prepare us not only to be able to receive the kingdom, but enable the kingdom of God to move in us and then to move through us, so that through the Lord's hands and feet, his church, the kingdom of heaven is brought near to us. Lord, the world is not as it should be. The struggle is great, the suffering is intense, things need to change. But I am weak, and I cannot do it. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. This is in verse 14, if you look down with me. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So the response to the lament is this commission to go out. And Gideon says, bless him. He doesn't quite get it right. He says, "Um," what does he say? forgive me here. He says, how can I save Israel? In verse 15, my clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. What we see is that lament, and we'll look more into this when we get to Lent, lament with the presence of God leads to a might and a power that can bring about great change. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And so in his weakness, Gideon thinks it's up to him. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so the strength comes, not in his history, not in his performance, not in anything that he's done or has been done to him, but it comes, why? Because the Lord's promise to be with him. It looks very different, but the Lord has promised to be with us. And some of us today may be stuck. And it may be that you have done everything. Counseling and therapy are extremely good and healthy, and I encourage you all to get it when you need it. They are very good and powerful. Prayer ministry, receiving prayer, for healing and prayer for deliverance is powerful. I recommend you all get it. I've had it. You can get all these things and you get all the healthy things that you need put in. You change your diet, exercise, and put everything in health for your physical, emotional, and spiritual health and still be stuck because sometimes the one thing we don't know how to do is how to move through the final inch to that place of freedom. And that last inch requires us to lament. Prayers of lament are powerful. They're prayers of preparation, and they enable us to see that we're not limited by what we do, but by what's been done to us. So Gideon's identity changes. If you've been coming to St. Barthes for a while, you would have heard a story six months ago about a car I own. a Mini Cooper. I picked up the Mini Cooper on Monday. Yeah, just in time for the glorious weather last week. And at the end, I said to the mechanic, he apologized for the six months, said it's so embarrassing. He adjusted the bill, you know, took the, knocked off, you know, just, it was great all about it. And he said, he said, I'm really sorry about the last six months, I don't know how this happened. This has never happened before. This is not how we do business. I said, look, I know. And he said, um, I said, what do you think about all this? And he says, I'll tell you one thing. I said, yeah, what's that? And he said, I've really gotten to know you because I called him three times a week for six months. Um, and uh, he said, I don't know anyone like you. Delay after delay, you've been kind and patient. And I said, you know, you know why? He said, no, tell me. He said, well, I really felt Jesus tell me that if I didn't sin against you with what was happening, that there's a chance that you might come to know him. And he said, really? He said that to you about me? I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, um, my wife is much better at the spiritual stuff. I said, oh, "Yeah, I know. They tend, our, ten, our wives tend to be wiser than we are, but um, would you be interested to know more about Jesus, and he said, I think I would, and, um, and I said, um, I'm here to help you get a chance to get to know him, and all of a sudden, all I can explain is that the Spirit of God hits him, and it's never, I've not seen this very often, but he begins to say, I'm not perfect, and begins to confess his sins in front of me. Right, and that actually did happen, which helped him. You know, my microphone sparked and, no, he begins to confess everything he's done wrong. And I I said, okay, and I said to him, I don't know where I got this, I said, look, I'm not really concerned about your smoking. I'm more concerned that you're on fire and that you're living your life to the fullest and that you know the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And I said, "Um, this is just a car you're worth so much more than this car. Well, especially the Mini, because the value depreciates so aggressively. And it's not worth much at all. Um, So he, he took that pretty easily. But you're worth so much more than this car, and I'm here to help you discover how much you're worth in the eyes of Jesus. How about it? You interested? He says, yes. Yes, I am. I said, all right, I'll come back, and I'll take you to lunch, and we'll talk. Um, You know, I share that just because that was such a powerful moment in this man's identity. He'd spent time, he'd done things he didn't want to do, he'd kept doing things he did want to do, but he knew he shouldn't do, and, and all of a sudden then there was that moment when he realized that my life is not defined by what I've done, what's been done to me, or what I continue to do. And the only reason I was able to do that. Is because in my life. Like the rest of you. We, I've had to come to Jesus and say. That my life is not as it should be. Yes I have been saved. But I need to be saved today. And I know that one day you will make all things perfect. But that is not now. So help. And that posture of humility really prepares us so that we can receive the kingdom of God from Jesus and then be used by him as his hands and feet to make his kingdom known. And I think that's why if Gideon is truly lamenting, it's a powerful message to us. So how do we lament? Well, there actually is a formula which I've forgotten, so I'll just give you the rough brushstrokes as we come to a time of prayer before we turn to the Lord's Supper which is just in your own words, whatever it is you've gone through, whatever it is you're feeling, and maybe something in your life or outside, you know, something you're attuned to, a, a cause or the state of things in the city, where you really come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is not right. This is not as it should be. And, you know, sometimes we feel we can't be open and honest with God because we don't want to hurt his feelings. Well, guess what? We can't really hurt his feelings because he's big enough to take it. And it's as we process in prayer and lament that something changes in us. It frees our hearts up to receive more of him. So, I'm just gonna close the moment of quiet. And just give you just a, just a brief moment to start maybe this process of amendment. Lord Jesus, we recognize that the world is not as it should be. Recognize that this isn't right. Recognize the injustice that there are children hungry this morning, that there are, there's violence that doesn't need to be happening. Recognize that we have, things have been done to us that should never have happened. Words have been said that should never have been said. Expectations placed on us that should never have been placed. And even, Lord, we have done things that we should never have done. And we haven't done things that we should have done. And we lament this. And we choose to take you at your word that you are a God who loves and that you are a God who champions the cause of those who are victims of injustice. And our prayer as a church this morning is that you would use us as your hands and feet, that your kingdom be brought to bear in our lives so that through our lives, your kingdom will spread out. Would you come now, Holy Spirit? Would you lead us? Would you help us discover who it is that we have been called to be? And would you show us what it means to be marked as children of the Most High God? That we might do what Jesus did, say what he said, and do it in the way that he did it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.